Welcome to the Dogs, your fortnightly dose of Greyhound racing interviews, insights, and a whole lot more. With your hosts, Joe Andrews and Danny Jackson. Welcome to episode three of Gone to the Dogs. We've got plenty coming up on the show, but first, he's always with me on these shows. It's Joe Andrews. Joe, how are you doing? Hello, Danny. I'm all right. I'm not great, I have to say. I've just got back from a week at ice and if you don't know what ice is it's basically the biggest gaming show in the world where every bookmaker and casino bigwig comes over to london from tuesday through to thursday and tries to buy and sell gaming stuff and so my voice is very croaky so i will apologize in advance it will get better when james price comes on for his interview because we recorded <laughs> that free ice um but yeah i'm tired i'm gonna have an early night tonight possibly even a bath um oh. but i'm fine i'm good how are you yeah, good. Busy. So I barely know my own name, what day it is, what time it is, whatever. But yeah, looking forward to hearing actually from James Price again, because I have listened to the interview, obviously I've edited it and it's a really, really good one. So very much looking forward to the feedback on James Price's interview later on. And something that's been floating about Twitter recently is the new Twitter space, the Greyhound family. And we can hear a little bit more from Grace about that. Hello, I am the host of The Ground Family on Twitter. We'd aim to get owners and kennel lands on to talk about their dogs, obviously people that wouldn't normally get to talk about their dogs and how they got into sport. It'll be hosted every Sunday at around quarter past six, half past six. If there's a big competition on, we will also be hosting on that day. Strike over the heat, strike over the finals. It's open to everyone. We have had some bigger names come on. We've had the Keely family. We've had uh, the Channons as well. We had Jack Channon on. But it is mainly... Speaker-wise, owners, Kennelands, possibly some track staff later on. You can find us at Wilson Greyhound on Twitter. Yeah, so it's a brand new initiative on Twitter. As you heard from Grace, it will mostly be every Sunday. Not this week, though. It will be next Monday after the awards because Grace and her granddad are going to the awards, uh, the GBGB Awards on Sunday night. So looking forward to seeing them there. But the Twitter space, Joe, we've both been involved, we've both been listening, and um, we've both talked on the show as well. So it just seems to be a really good, positive space talking about greyhound racing. That's exactly it. It's brilliant. I mean, it's, you know, make it a regular occurrence. People chatting, owners, trainers, anyone, fans want to come on and voice their opinions or thoughts or bets or anything like that. Tell us about your favourite dogs. It'd be good. And as you said, we've, we've both um, we've both said our little bit bits on it. But um, I'm definitely going to listen going forward as much as possible. And it's just a really good community. And it's something that, that hasn't been done before. But, mm-hmm. you know, a regular... Um, way to communicate with fellow greyhound lovers is is great is fantastic yeah and it's people that might not get the chance you know um on the traditional channels as it were to to speak about greyhounds and and their love for them and how they've got into the, the whole you know sport that we love so if you haven't joined in do make sure you check out the twitter space run by grace because it's it is fabulous so yeah do enjoy it we have got plenty of news of course, over the last couple of weeks that's happened. The first thing that I was latching onto is Make It For Waz being retired due to a little bit of an injury that she's picked up when working. And I mean, she's just a fabulous bitch, wasn't she? She's one of my favourite greyhounds from from 2022, to be honest with you. She was a winning machine. She's fabulous. What an attitude. Gets her head down. 
Um, you know, and she was she, she was definitely a personal favourite of mine. I look forward to seeing her pups on the track. That's the next exciting instalment. But um, you could sort of tell. I mean, I, I backed her for the the blue ribbon on on here. Mm. I, I had a little each way bet on her, and you could just sort of tell that maybe she wasn't a hundred percent, or you know, m- maybe she wasn't. Your heart wasn't in it anymore. I, I don't know. Yeah. Obviously, Frank Frank Gray. I know, but it. It looked like it was a really good decision to to call into a racing career anyway when she did. And as I said, I cannot wait to to see little little wazos on the uh, racetrack. Wazos. Oh, that's what they're <laughs> gonna be called now, Joe. You, 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 you nailed it. <laughs> oh, little wazos. Well, whoever gets little wazos on the ground first, me and Joe want an invite because oh. We've I seen the tickies pup. and we now want the wazos. Yeah, I want the pup, but I, I can't because my wife would kill me if I got another ground <laughs> at the moment. But um, yeah, maybe a little share or something. Oh, we'll club together, Joe. Yeah, Let's we're going to the dog's dog. Genius. It's got to be called Wazo now, though. Make it make it for Wazo. Make, make it for it podcast. For um, Gone to the Wazo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my word. One for the bloopers reel. <laughs> Uh, right, we've got uh, plenty more. What else have you uh, keeping your eye on over the past couple of weeks, Joe? Um, well, just been some great performances. I mean, first and foremost, we were talking about the Blue Ribbon final at, at Toaster on our last podcast. <laughs> Hopes Paddington put in a tremendous display to to win. It was a really good final, great field, and and he won quite comfortably. I mean, the early pace he showed to the first bend was was breathtaking, and the race was over from there. And um, you know. He laid his Derby credentials firmly on the table now, and I assume that will be the the, the target. Yeah, Hopes Paddington for Mark Wallace, of course. He just blitzed them, absolutely blitzed them, and he was in the perfect box as well from box four. Um, not necessarily the perfect box from him, but the perfect box at Toaster, in my opinion, uh, down the centre three and four. They just seemed to ping from there. So, yeah, Hopes Paddington certainly one to keep an eye on for the Derby coming up in, well, actually not, they're not too distant future now. It is coming up in May. Yeah, the first rounds are 25th, 26th and 27th of May. And it'll be it'll be upon us before you know it. And there'll be plenty of Derby chat on this podcast, of course, and the run up to it. 1000% cannot wait because, like I say, I used to come alive for six weeks of the year on Twitter and then fall asleep again because I love the Derby. So hopefully we can get another salad dodger in there and 125 to an anti-post winner, but we'll see. I can't promise you that keep, again. That's, this is the third. This is the third episode, and you uh, keep getting the salad dodger in there, don't you? Yep, a little bit. It's the only claims of fame I've got when it comes to tipping, Joe. It's useless. Um, well, I'm not useless. I'm just. Um, You're not useless. I'm, I'm just sure not as good as you. Lots of winners. I'm not very good. I'm no good. <laughs> uh, any other uh, news that we've got? Uh, Carl Jackson well, obviously had his winner. Didn't he? Yeah. Um, Watch your mm-hmm. Sid won the um, Puppy Cup at Oxford, put in a tremendous display again, and he's going to be going for the Northern. Well, he's taking part in the Northern Puppy Derby at the moment. Danny, were there any performances that caught your eye over the last few weeks? Yeah, well, I was on Racing Post TV actually when I Am's a Magic blitzed them, did get a little bit of trouble and did have to put in a brave display, but really did knuckle down in the Essex bars for, again, trainer Mark Wallace. I mean, can he do anything wrong? And he has picked up the £10,000 prize in really, really fine style. Beat Kulavani Auntie, who once again, actually, in that race, did edge off, a, you know, the true racing line from the red jacket. So whether or not she just doesn't run Romford very well or that she doesn't like the inside line particularly, I'm not sure. But I Am's a Magic didn't do everything right. 
um, but still put in a really good display to win by a length and a half and had to battle for it. So uh, all kudos to uh, the Wallaces and, of course, the Iamza team. I mean, they bring a lot to, to Greyhound Racing as well. All the syndicate were there, um, or most of them. I don't know that necessarily I wasn't counting that everybody was there, but they were all there on the podium and it just looked like they were having a sensational night. And what a gorgeous dog he is as well. He looks so happy with himself on the podium. So, yeah, Iamza Magic would be the one over the last couple of weeks that uh, ticked my box. Excellent. So when this podcast is released, Joe, I'm going to be two days away from getting my makeup done and sticking a ball gown on that makes me look like a disco ball, ready for the Jeebie Awards, because that's taking place, of course, on Sunday night. So sad that you can't be there, but happy that I'm going. <laughs> yeah, well, have a great time. Are you going to be put your dancing shoes on? Oh, 1,000%, yeah. Try and get me off that dance floor. I'm ridiculous. As soon as I've had maybe a glass or ten of wine i love being on the dance floor so yes as long as the dj is playing some good tunes i will be there and like i say looking like a disco ball you will not miss me well you will but nobody else will <laughs> do you know who's on your table yeah i've got a racing post table who's... so uh anna thompson from racing post tv she'll be there we've got um rob cattrell from ireland with his wife steve nash who is going to be our hopefully our next guest on the podcast he will be there Ooh. too uh, Dave Lawrence, who owns at the moment, I think the favourite for the Golden Jacket, Low Pressure. So he will be having a good night, hopefully on Sunday if he performs on Saturday morning. And I think, oh, and the Keneally brothers, Joe and Ryan. So should be a fun. There's trouble. Yeah, exactly. But fun filled. So yeah, that is on Sunday night. Going to be a fun filled evening, I am sure. And uh, hopefully I won't be too much the worse for wear when you are joining us on Racing Post TV on Monday night, Joe. No, you better be on your best behaviour and very professional. I absolutely will. Have you ever known me as anything else? Uh, anyway, we are going to now dive into our interview with James Price. He is a belter, so strap in. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, James. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a trader, first of all? Yeah, so um, I was brought up in North Wales, so it wasn't really um, Greyhound territory, if you like. Um, went to Liverpool University and after that was sort of struggling to work out what I was going to do with my life. Always liked a little gamble. Um, a job came up at SIS down in, uh, in London at Corsham Street and found my way with a suitcase coming down to London to, to live there for a bit. And yeah, worked in the um, SIS trading, well not trading room, it was a room where we, we took all the odds from the on-course and sent them to the um, the betting shops around the country and online. And it was great fun, lots of like-minded people there, plenty of people who would be lifelong friends and uh, was made to feel very welcome. And uh, from there, got the bug, wanted, wanted to get into trading, joined Ladbrokes, Oh, about 15 years ago now, I've been there for about 15 years. Started there as just doing like production for them. So just um, putting in results and whatnot, just trying to get my way into trading. You know, it's very hard from an outsider who had no experience to get into a trading room. It just felt like everybody was looking for experience. So I thought just, just get in the door and go from there. From there, I got a job at, in the bet control. So I was talking to all the shops 
shop bets will come through. You take them to the traders. You get to meet people that way. Um, you know, get to know the the, the faces of the the trading names that you've uh, that people knew then. And yeah, just kept on trying. And then Richard Hartness, um, who was in charge of Greyhounds at the time, he um, he got me a job on the Greyhound team. So I've been Greyhound trading for about twelve years now. I know Richard from working with him at Racing Post, Greyhound TV, and he's just such a nice guy. So yeah, you, you did well to to get in with him early on because I'm assuming he took you under his wing and taught you everything he knows. Yeah, very much so. Him, he had a team of around four or five uh, guys in the office who were all very knowledgeable and all all helped me out massively. Uh, Richard, especially probably with the um, odds compilation part of the uh, part of the job. You know, it was a different job then in terms of we were talking to, you know, we were hedging into on-course markets and whatnot, which we don't do now. But, you know, there was there was different facets to the job. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, a learning curve and, it, you know, it was, it was a, you know, good guys there and uh, enjoyed the time when it was Ladbrokes on its own, uh, learning learning the job. And what about ground racing specifically then? Have you always been a fan or is it something you've enjoyed more as you've sort of got involved in the trading side of things? Yeah, I think probably the majority of the people you have on the podcast have, have been in it from an early age, but that's not the case for me. I was, um, let's say I was brought up in North Wales, which isn't Greyhound territory. There's no tracks in North Wales at all. And the closest was Bellevue in Manchester, which is obviously gone now. So no, is the, the honest answer. I didn't, um, I probably didn't even see a Greyhound race until I was in my late teens when I started, to, started trying to get to the bookies and whatnot. But uh, yeah, probably... 16 or so was would have been my uh would have been the first time I saw a ground race got a little bit more into it in university when started trying to drag friends to go to um Bellevue on a, on a night out I used to like going there as often as I could but the, the love for it really came when I came down to to London and um, started at SIS yeah well you're in good company here as well because Joe and I were pretty late on the scene as uh, when it comes to greyhound yeah. racing I was 20 <laughs> 24 so I've been in it for 10 years now and Joe was a little bit later than me, weren't you? Yeah, well, in terms of getting into it, you know, strongly like I am now. I mean, I used to go greyhound racing to the track just for a night out when I was at uni and stuff. We'd go to pool and, and, and things. But um, yeah, we're all we're all latecomers. Uh, good stuff. And then what, what hooked you in then, James? Was there something specific, a certain dog or anything like that? At Bellevue, used to, straight away, really, I enjoyed trying to crack races, trying to... You know, work out the puzzle. Even you know, even when just as an eighteen-year-old in a betting shop, having two pound on, three pound on, just looking at the form, trying to work out which dog would win. I, that that was the, you know, the puzzle was what enticed me to it. As I say, I started going to Bellevue. Used to in, love going to the open nights there straight away as well. Um, there was a dog there called Vieri Sharp. He was probably a minor open dog, top grade dog, but he was a dog which um, you know. I really liked from uh, from just going to going to the track. He probably won me a few quid to be fair, but you know, <laughs> they're the sort of dogs you like, oh, aren't they? Helps, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was he was just a, he was he was one that will always stick in my mind, very sharp. And then from a yeah, as I say, when I got more into it, it would have been Westmead Hawk. Um his second derby, um, the the semi-final there was uh, I remember sitting in the SIS trading room thinking, my God, like what 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 a race that was. And thinking I've got to go to the final next week, and I, I did go to the final the following week, and I think I went to a, pretty much every Wimbledon final after that. Jealous? 
jealous that you got to see the great Westmead Hawk in full flight. Oh, what a dog he was. Absolutely sensational. Because I've, I've only been able to watch him on YouTube. So uh, very jealous, James. Very jealous. Uh, now talk us through a typical day at work. What happens when you get into the office? Uh, it depends what day it is, really. If it's um, earlier in the week, well, a Wednesday, for example, I'll be looking at uh, the Romford card for Friday. Obviously, there's not too many opens on a Wednesday night. Um, Harlow haven't had many opens the last few weeks. So, yeah, Romford is uh, my first port call. I'm just going through the card, pricing that up. Um, whatever ever opens, if there's, like, this week, there's um, the Hove opens on Saturday. I'll be looking at them. So, for a day like today, a quiet Tuesday, really, there's only two opens at uh, Sheffield. I'll price them up first thing this morning. I think that we, Ladbrokes were up um, before nine o'clock on those two races. You know, it's not a particularly long job to just put the two races out and just keep an eye on those two races really for, throughout the day. I'm looking for any anti-post event. It's just generally just trying to keep an eye on what's happening in the next couple of days and pricing them and then looking after the day's races. So um, if, it, if it was a Friday morning where, you know, Romford's busy, you're going to get requests coming through from the, from the betting shops quite quickly. Generally, you'll get... I'll release the prices at about eight o'clock in the morning and um, there'll be maybe 20, 30 bets within an hour, an hour and a half. So people who, you know, obviously waiting to see our prices and uh, formed an opinion and want to want to have a bet, those bets will be dealt with. And then, um, you know, the, the prices may be changed a little bit and then there's generally a lull. And then for whatever reason, five or six o'clock, the world goes mad at Romford on a Friday night. <laughs> I'm not, I've no idea what it is, but it's just bet after bet after bet coming through. And it's, which is healthy for the sport. It's good for the sport to know that this month, the money's still there. But um, yeah, Friday night's always a lively one in the office. And what about the, the graded stuff then? Because we often hear that, that personal opinion's been taken out of pricing these days. Would, would you agree with that? Um, I think I'd have to agree with that to a certain extent. Um, I don't look after the graded at all. It's uh, run by a different team. Some of the boys there would really like the greyhounds and would, um, you know, would have an opinion in there. Others less so. And it's just their their job really is just to get the races out for our own tracks, for our own um, for our four entain tracks: Crayford, Romford, Monmore, and Hove. We do have a tissue in there, so our prices would be slightly different to competitors. But generally, um, you know, we're not going to be first out on the graded, and we'll just see where the, the middle line is more or less and uh, go from there. And then it's just a case then of seeing what bets come through and, you know, um, shortening dogs and putting dogs out at, when required on the graded. And also, you know, you, especially in recent weeks with the cold weather, you know, the, there'll be people who are hot on the um, on biases and whatnot. So, you know, you've always got to have half an hour and, um, you know, whether there's going to be an inside or an outside bias depending on weather. You know, you're often first up, as you've said, with the anti-post prices for the open races. What is your process pricing them up? So basically, I'll price each race up to um, about 120%, each of the heats up to 120% to start with, then go through the anti-post and just, you know, you'll have an idea then of which dogs are fancied for, which dogs I fancy for each heat. Just through experience, I guess, and knowledge of the dogs, you'll have an idea if there's any in particular races which might be stronger heats and there's some weaker heats. And therefore then put those prices, those heat prices into 
um, the anti-post um, spreadsheet to come up with um, come up with prices for, for the anti-post. And then go back to the heat from the anti-post, think this might be a bit big for the heat. And then finally go back to the anti-post again. So I, I generally look at, you know, go alter, alternate between the heats and the anti-post two or three times just to try and get it right. Uh, you know, that can be through watching the heats, uh, through the heats, that'll be watching the videos of the dogs and just having a general idea of, you know, unless unless it's a puppy race, generally got a good idea of the dogs anyway. So it's um, experience as much as anything else. How long does that tend to take you? It, it depends on on the competition. Like the whole competitions last week, there were three competitions: um, a maiden competition, a sprint competition, and a five fifteen standard competition. Uh, to do the three of those, it would probably take me most of the morning, so about about four hours to do the heats and the anti post for the for those three competitions. But if if I'd have gone back maybe three or four years ago, it probably would have taken twice as long. The process is just get a little bit better and a bit quicker. Good stuff. And now you've got your prices up and out there. Um, one thing that, that I can hear people wanting to ask you when they're listening to, to you talking is, and this doesn't apply to everyone, but why advertise those prices if you're if you're not going to take decent bets or even pennies on them? For the anti-post and open races, every open race which is shown in a entertained shop will be priced up in the shop as well so those the prices that are available online will be exactly the same in shops and yeah obviously people um, are restricted online there's no point glossing over that it's just fact of the matter you know people do find it hard to get on in, online sometimes the vast majority of people don't it's fair, fair to say as well you know so it is a minority that can't get it on yeah. but that minority there is an avenue to get on with entain there are shops we will lay you know for an anti-post bet We'll, we'll lay a fair bet for anyone, you know, who, who wants a bet. If you, if you if you take if you make the effort to come into the shop and wanting a bet on the anti-post, you know, if you're asking for five hundred quid each way on a sixty-six to one shot, you might not be getting that, but you'd be offered a fair bet to win a, a fair amount of money. Yeah, can't say fairer than that. So basically, if you want a bet, get down to Labrooks Cog, and you'll get on to a fair amount. Exactly. I, I, I'd like to think, you know. For the good of the sport as much as anything else that bookies need to lay bets you know to keep people's interests up and i'd like to say that people do get a fair crack of the whip in in the shops those that do struggle you know there, there is that avenue yeah i was going to say i've not been restricted yet so i don't think I, my bets are too successful <laughs> but um, to be fair as well i do put like 50p on anyway so i think if i was restricted from that i'd be uh, throwing things <laughs> you'd, be, but, you'd be doing very well <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh, now do you think that the technology and the social media side has helped the trading process or do you think it's hindered it i mean from my point of view it's a lot easier these days to be able to watch the videos um, hmm. majority of those are online that helps straight away um, there's different trading tools which we use. Some are helpful, some are um, less helpful. I won't go into the, the 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 pros and cons of those because they're probably not too interesting. But um, social media-wise, from from my own perspective, I like to try and help people out. So if if anybody's got issues where they're in the in the past they've gone to customer services who may not understand the product as well as they could do. Um, and they, they don't, the customer might not get the correct answer or the answer that they're looking for. In that case, I've, I'm always open to people to contact me to, to help, and people do, rather than people then just having a go at 
Entain and Labrooks and Coral. I'd prefer um, I'd prefer to be able to help them and then you know hopefully put a positive spin on it. I mean, we've seen a lot of that on social media when we opened up the questions uh, for the podcast and people were saying, you know, you, you will help people no matter what, you know, you're always there and your price races up fairly. So I think there's a lot of positivity and what you're doing is not going unnoticed. So just want to say kudos to you there, James, because the, the vocal minority are definitely in your corner. Again, I don't want to like big myself up too much, but there's not many, there's not other people who tend to, do what I do from other firms. Um, Neil Godleman puts himself up at um, for Hills, which is good. But um, generally, I, I just try and you know try and promote the sport, try and promote the company, and try and help people where I can. And you know sometimes it can be a bit of a pain, but um, I think in the long run and in the long term for the sport and and for the company, it's not a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. I completely agree. And uh, as Danny said. Positive feedback for a bookie. Now that is a that is a rarity. So give yourself a pat on the back. Now this is a bit of a complicated question, or not? But what are your opinions on the, on the greyhound product as a whole? And do you think it's attractive to not just greyhound betters who understand the product, but to to the wider betting public? From a retail perspective, greyhounds has always had its um, you know little part in the betting shop, hasn't it? It's, um, you know, there's a race every 10 minutes, you know, that the form's always up in the corner. We've got our own little section. You'll have people who go in just about on Greyhounds. You'll have people going in the afternoon, betting on the horses, going on Saturday morning, having their football accumulator. And the aim for us is to, while they're doing those bets or while they're betting on the horses, race by race in the afternoons, we want them to be getting involved on the Greyhounds as well. You know, how to promote it within the shops. I personally think that, we probably could do a little bit more to promote um, the sport in the shops. You know, a lot of money is obviously spent on promoting football and, and whatnot, whereas Greyhounds is more or less left to its own devices. We just sort of chug along in the corner to, you know, be in our own product, doing our own thing. And, you know, we're solid. We're a solid product. The po- the, the main positive, I suppose, in that respect is the, the races are 30 seconds long. People can come in, put their bet on, and the race is over pretty quickly. So in lunch times, hopefully people will be having five or six dog races and um, having five or six bets. I mean, that's the aim for us. But as a product, it's easy as well, isn't it? The six dogs have all got the jackets on. It's not the hardest to understand. You know, even if you just want to bet a random dog, you have your five run. You can watch your, you watch the dog out the traps. It's, 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 a, it's a simple product. So that's the main benefit, I suppose. So you were talking about the um, lunchtime hour and the fact that it's quick and easy to get a greyhound bet on. Do you see an uptick at different times of the day as to when people are putting bets on? Um, it's it's just generally whenever you know Saturdays will obviously be busier, but our busiest times are the afternoons when when the um, when the horses are on. So I guess that there's people in the the betting shops betting on the horses. Well, well, they obviously are placing their bets on the dogs as well. But that's different online as the online and um, retail are obviously different online. The evenings will be busier. RPG TV races when people are sat at home watching them. That's, um, that, you know, that, they'll be our busiest races. Oh, so it does make a difference then with the coverage being on national television with uh, Racing Post Greyhound TV. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Probably less so now than it would have done five years ago. I mean, it's easy to forget that five years ago you couldn't watch a race at home. You had to go to the bookmakers to to watch any race. You know, you could listen to it on the radio, 
but there was no streaming and it wasn't it wasn't that long ago we forget how archaic that sounds but um you know now you can watch every race obviously so it's it's slightly different but rpg tv is still a huge asset to the sport james have you got any ways you could um, improve the ground product in your opinion you know what can be done to push things forward it's, it's probably said been said a million times before but uh promotion we need to get people through the doors and i know a lot of people want big finals to be on saturday nights i'm not the biggest advocate of that um i can see why people want it and the derbies yes obviously the derby yes i used to like you know tuesday nights was always a sky night or you know the finals run a tuesday night sky night and it felt special it felt big sky used to pump push us a little bit if all finals are on a Saturday night, um, I think we just get lost a little bit with amongst all the other offerings, people going out on nights out, people, um, football, obviously, rugby, whatever sport people are into, it tends to be on a Saturday. If we have our finals on midweek, on the evenings, we could get a bit more exposure. That was that was my thoughts on it. On the flip side of that, I still think the issue is the, the, the schedules. You know, there's too much morning racing, there's too much afternoon racing, and therefore that impacts on the amount of Saturday night racing, the amount of Friday night racing. All these, every track should be racing Friday, Saturday nights, in my opinion. Get people through the doors. Doesn't have to be the high quality racing, but you know, just get people through the doors to come and watch the product. That's where people are going to get a love for it. Yeah, that's where you hook people in, and then you have the superstars, and then you know maybe on one night that they've come and they've thought oh that's a great dog you know that's the hook because that was my hook you know you you see one dog and you just think yeah what a sport what a dog what a greyhound you know that is you know that is all about our sports about you know it's the greyhounds they are the superstars and they are the things that are going to keep keep people coming in um to the sport because you can go and have a great night out a few of my friends have done that you can go and have a great night out but if you don't have that hook then you're not going to go back. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You, you know, you, obviously, if you if people can go and see a, a space jet every week, for example, <laughs> coming from 25 lengths behind, then that would that would then encourage people. Unfortunately, we haven't got many space jets, <laughs> probably for a reason. But uh, those sorts of dogs can get people in. But just getting people through the doors, the, you know, if you get people through the doors, it creates its own atmosphere anyway. I mean, I go back to Bellevue on, um, from when I was um, going in university days, it was absolutely rammed Friday, Saturday nights. You know, it didn't matter whether it was A8 or open races, really. You know, the vast majority of people wouldn't know, but they'd have be having a good night. And it's just getting people returning. And then, as you say, the more people return, the more people might look into trying to work out races. And then they get the um, the quality of the sport from there, and uh, that, you know, as you say, it's just getting them getting the hook. But the first part of the hook is to get people through the doors. And if we don't open the doors on Saturday nights when people are likely to come, you're not going to get that hook in the first place. Home Run Hounds is a new charity set up homing centre. We've been operational for a couple of months now and we aim to find loving homes for retired racing greyhounds. I've been in greyhound racing for 30 years now as a kennel hand and an owner. Six years in the homing industry through Greyhound Trust through their Dudley branch. 
obviously totally in love with the breed and firmly believe that once their racing career is over, they deserve a happy ever after in front of a warm fire on a nice comfy sofa and boy do they ever know their home. Um, we retire between two and four years of age. This means that two thirds of the greyhound's life is spent on the sofa, so it's essential that we find the absolute best home for them. And we home with families of children, occasionally with cats and other pets, and we do home checks, um, repetitive introductions where people come into kennels with their pet. And usually it's a case of the greyhound chooses the family. <laughs> Obviously, we like the family to choose the greyhound as well. But our primary objective is to ensure that everyone within the family unit is happy. We've got a beautiful black girl called Lola who's got the tiniest, pretty little face. She's four years old. Um, lovely racing career. She's just ready for her sofa. If you're looking for a greyhound as a pet, approach one of the independent homers or a greyhound trust branch locally to yourself or you can of course home direct from the trainers yards their phone numbers are always in the program so you can contact us the telephone number is 07488 253 537 our website is www.homerunhounds.co.uk and we have our facebook home run hounds and our Twitter account at Home Run Hounds. Um, so James, we've heard a lot about affordability checks um, for punters recently, most notably in horse racing, but is that feeding through to Greyhound betting at all and, and affecting the product? It's not something that I'm specifically uh, part of my job or my role to, to look into. The honest answer, I wouldn't overly know. I'd expect it probably does to some degree, but um, I don't know the answer. Um, obviously, as much as affordability checks come into it, people with cost of living, it's probably just as, as big an issue. And also, um, you know, post-COVID, people coming into the shops, obviously, less of an issue now but 12 months ago there was um you know people are still trying to find the confidence especially the older generation who you know are probably the mainstay of the betting, betting shops so covid cost of living and affordability checks would all play their part but um i wouldn't know the answer specifically to affordability but generally we're ticking over okay that is good news now how do you see the future of trading when it comes obviously specifically to greyhound racing so i know that um, obviously, we've had the industry SPs and all that kind of thing. So how do you see the future? Industry SP is obviously controversial to a to a degree from um, from certain people. What people don't say when they talk about the industry SP is pre, pre that, they were the odd naughty show, shall we say, mm. uh, which came into things. So there, there was the odd bad first show that came through where, where dogs shouldn't have been the price they were. So that, that's obviously been eliminated with the industry SPs. It's controversial. I, I can understand why people get frustrated sometimes. You look and you think, why can't this dog be um, a little bit bigger through, you know, but it's obviously linked to the exchange. You think, well, if a dog's 25 on the exchange, why can't it be at least 16, 20 to one on the show? But um, I, I don't have a, a say in how these things are worked or um, I don't really understand how they're worked to be honest. 
just, just something new to me as it is to everybody else look who'll be listening to this and uh, I think for, for the mainstay the prices are okay um but you know for certain people I can understand why they'd be frustrated okay and where do you see the future of the sport James where do you think we'll be in sort of five years time hopefully in a in a good place um you know, obviously, I can understand why people are disillusioned with the sport. You know, you, you see on social media people leaving. But it'd be nice to think that maybe in five years' time, the schedules might be sorted out. Less morning racing, less afternoon racing, more evening racing, go back to where we were pre-COVID. That would be, you know, again, I've got no say in this, or this is just my personal opinion rather than me speaking as a company. Um, but it'd be nice to have more people you know in you know more more evening racing more saturday night racing and those people who are disillusioned with the game might get back into it you know there's the sales events at the moment are going strong aren't they there's people mm. still buying dogs for a lot of money there are a lot of competitions you know with the, the company i work for entain and um arc the premier greyhound racing there's plenty of twenty thousand pound races on the calendar now which went there five years ago. Well, the races were there, but the prize money wasn't the same with our own sponsored races. There's lots of £10,000 races, but 365 have got involved with some with some sponsors. So there's, if you're owning a high-quality dog, you can plan your way through the calendar, trying to work out which track, which race will suit you most. And I can understand why people are paying big money for dogs with the knowledge that there is prize money to be won there you know you can buy a dog for twenty thousand pounds you could potentially win that back quite quickly if you've got the right dog at the right track and there are positives to um, where, where we couldn't where we can be in five years if this ball keeps on rolling so you're saying obviously that the sales were really successful this year because people are targeting the calendar and I think it's a really good thing that the GBGB have released a whole year calendar with enough time for people to start planning start targeting and and just generally lay out the year I mean it's got to be helpful for you as well with pricing up greyhounds and when you can take your holidays and what have you James yeah I'm sure the missus would be pleased to know when I can take a holiday she knows I don't have a holiday during uh during derby season that's for sure <laughs> but um yeah generally yeah as you say I think if you look at the sales and the sales are always positive that's a good thing for the sport obviously people are still willing to put their money in the pocket to buy dogs and the calendar being there gives people a little bit of um you know solid you know, solidarity you know that the, the the money's there you know that the races are going to be there for the, for the year coming so um as you say it gives it gives people something to aim at and um spend big money on dogs and on that note james have you ever owned any dogs yourself Yes, uh, not for a few years now, but um, when, back in the SIS days, uh, we owned a dog called Mick the Brute, who um, was mid-grade Harlow, and then uh, he started mid-grade Harlow, and uh, he went um, on a minor open circuit. It was one of the proudest days of my, of my life before kids, I suppose, when uh, he won a, <laughs> a maiden at Romford on a Friday night. Um, he was with um, Lorraine Sams at that stage as well, which was, uh, it was like going into the kennel to see him and seeing um, the likes of Skirlog Champ, who was there at the, uh, Skirlog Champ, uh, <laughs> uh, Spirit Don Louis, who was there at the time. Spirit Don Louis, that's uh, was, is the right dog. Yeah. <laughs> he was there at the time. It was, um, it was like seeing a superstar there. Um, so that was, that was all fun. And then 
a little bit later, I owned a dog uh, called All Fired Up, where Richard Baker at um, Oxford had him. I owned him with my best man um, for my wedding, who um, lives up in Barnsley. So the dog started down in Oxford and ended up in Kinsley, running there. So he was sort of top grade. But uh, yeah, they, they were the two main dogs I've had. I've had other little dogs in syndicates and whatnot. But uh, yeah, they were the, they're the two that spring to mind. Do you fancy getting involved again or is it banned? Oh, I certainly will <laughs> do in the future. Um, at the moment, all money is towards the house <laughs> for, <laughs> and the kids. But once we do get a house and a garden, then we'll be having a retired greyhound at the very least. And whether we can have a little, little run at a plan to retire it and uh, enjoy watching them on track before they retire it to our house that'll be the that'll be the dream but Brilliant. i'm sure we can do that oh definitely yeah because i've heard many good things about having a retired greyhound in the house they're just so chilled out and very friendly and just great uh, i want one but my german shepherd will not let me have one so <laughs> i'm not allowed it's not even the other half that's stopping me it's the other dog <laughs> so <laughs> Sadly, it won't be for me. Right. We did open up to social media and uh, at Wavy LTC, also known as Stefan, has been in touch, says, how are dogs performing as a betting medium for Labrooks Coral, both in shops and online? And, you know, do you see a bright future as a long term betting product for the sport? Yeah, absolutely. As I say, um, dogs are performing well. It's not um, it's not a dying product at all. We're, you know, it's pretty consistent, even through the, the years after COVID, we're, we're on a, you know, an upswing in, in terms of stakes and whatnot. So we're performing well. There's definitely plenty of years left in the, in the product. And um, yeah, long may it continue. Good stuff. And then at Matt Swad on Twitter has said, with the early price market being so thin, do you think it's etiquette to wait a little while to let owners have a crack or an absolute free for all? Is that okay? It's hard to say that, you know, an owner has a right to the price because of their owner it's a it's an open market at the end of the day but what I do say you know you know for plenty of firms and probably for us as well for graded it can be a little bit like fastest finger first if the if the price is that wrong then you know it's going to be who can get there first but for open races if anybody wants to have a bet with me or with Labrooks and Coral then they're more than willing to, to contact me and we'll agree a fair bet and you can go to the shop and you know, not be in a rush to get that price. You know, I can let the, the shop know that they're coming and take that price. Going above and beyond, that is absolutely fantastic to hear, James. So uh, and my bets aren't that big, so I don't need to to be, be doing that. But uh, for anyone out there that does, you know, want to get the big prices and the owners and what have you, do make sure you hit James up on Twitter. Everything will be in the show notes. At BV Mark 1977, aka the Card Marker, has been in touch on Twitter as well. And he says, Can we ask James the difference between now and maybe 15, 20 years ago in the trading room? Yeah, in terms of um, like from, from my team perspective or the team perspective, the jobs changed a lot from uh, on the Greyhound front. I had, I say, Richard Hartness as, uh, as my boss. Uh, we had I'm sure they won't mind me mentioning names, but Alan Williams, Billy Hennessy, Richard Vernon, who many will know from RPG TV as well, he used to go on quite regularly. All uh, good dog people who would know know the sport well. And we were, as mentioned earlier on, we were hedging into the um, on-course market at that point. So we had um, plenty of on-course people who would go to our tracks, Crayford and Monmore. We had uh, Graham Blomfield and Fred Chalk. 
and they would do our, our own graded prices. And at that time, our graded prices were the only prices on the market, if you like. Um, and they were, you know, properly done. And, you know, we'd, we'd lay a fair bet to, you know, the graded standards. But nowadays, the, the trading rooms change completely from a Greyhound point of view. And it's literally myself and Dan Jordan for Coral and Ladbrokes. And we've got a little team who do the who look after the graded under us. Uh, but we look after all the opens ourselves. We don't have an on-course team anymore. So from that perspective, it's uh, completely different. Finally, James, friend of the show, Ryan Keneally, has been in touch and he's got a couple of questions for you. Do you think open race prize money is at an acceptable level now? I think, as we mentioned before, um, the anti-post um, competitions, you know, there's plenty of £20,000 competitions, plenty of £10,000 competitions. I think that's getting where it should be. There's always room for improvement, obviously. Um, never say no to more prize money. You know, prize money is what builds the dream, isn't it? And, you know, having the competition winners, people don't, some people do, but the majority of people want to have good dogs, don't they? That's the, that's the dream. To sell people the dream, you need to make it achievable to, you know, to earn money or to at least be level up for the dream. And uh, those sort of £20,000 races help. So, yeah, I mean, one-off opens probably they should be double what they are now at many tracks. But um, in the in the grand scheme of things, I think it's okay. And then finally, he says, do you think a match race competition of sixteen dogs knockout style would be attractive in the UK? I think it could be. I think it's certainly worth a go. Um, have it like a coupons, as in like a football coupon, and have you know X versus why the dogs and um, ticking ticking off in the boxes which ones they like and having accumulators and whatnot. The only one I can think of was uh, the uh, Roxanne Magic versus uh, Ruby's Rascal a few years ago at Romford. From a trading perspective, we probably wouldn't have taken as much money on that as we would do a general open that on on the card. So where, wherever it might it might inspire the purists who want to see two dogs run against each other, whether it, whether it inspires the betting public remains to be seen but you know we've got to try these things haven't we why not yeah if you don't try you don't know and then it could be that little something that sparks somebody's imagination somewhere and we could see you know endless things coming out of uh, different initiatives like that so i think it's always worth having a go once or, or maybe twice because obviously we tried it a few years ago but um not, i was a non that wasn't a knockout was it, it was just uh, two cracking dogs going against each other but yeah i think the knockout competition would be certainly an interesting concept I think unless Joe's got anything else, I think we're we're pretty much out of questions, are we, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks very much, James. I find that really interesting myself. Mm. Um, good to hear from you, talking through your job, your role, what it entails to be a greyhound trader. Obviously, really useful for the listeners if they want to get a bet on on their dogs, they can get in touch with you and head down the shop. It's not all doom and gloom. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't even have to be through me. The vast majority of bets in the in the shops get taken anyway and especially on the opens obviously we don't we don't, we don't offer the graded races in the shops until the opening show comes through but opens are there from as soon as they're available online and whether people think i'm lying or not it's the truth we do play a fair bet to, to everybody i don't think anybody would ever leave the pin would completely be in there stuffed here 
but the message is just make sure you get down to shops, especially if you're a restricted customer, make sure you get down to shops. And then uh, if you do have any other issues, do uh, contact James and he'll see what he can do for you. James, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and all the feedback that we were having you on has been positive. You know, the, the people are waiting to hear from you and you you are one of the good guys uh, in the sport that tries to to push the sport forward and also to make sure that the majority of people are happy. So hats off to you and thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. As I say, I've listened to the first two uh, podcasts that you've done and I thought they were brilliant. And uh, although I do feel I'm a bit of a downgrade on Kevin Hutton and David Titston, then I'm uh, I'm happy to help. But um, yeah, if anybody who's listening even has any ideas of markets they'd like to see up or um, specials I can produce, anything that think that I can help to drive the sport or help promote the sport or just have a different interest. I mean, I, I tried to... Um, I'll be doing with the golden jacket coming up in the next week or so. I'll be doing like faster sectional, um, which I've done the last few years. We do that for the Derby as well. Um, special distance bets and things like that. You know, anything that stops it, uh, you know, just, just creates a little bit of interest, a little bit of a talking point I'm, I'm up for and uh, open to pricing. it's always great to hear from james price he is you know he just wants to help people and you could feel that all the way through the interview and when we were talking to him a little bit off air as well joe you know he just seems to be really passionate about making sure this sport has the best it can when it comes to all the betting markets and everything else that he can you know control from his side of things yeah i think you know he understands that betting is an important part of greyhound racing and owners and fans want to get a bet on and if you can't get a bet on for a lot of people they 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 don't want to know or they start losing interest so he understands that and he wants to accommodate people as much as possible so it has to be commended certainly certainly does and he was talking about the fastest sectional as well of the golden jacket and that he prices those up for the derby he's done it as well for the golden jacket too and low pressure so far has recorded the quickest sectional 23-13 to record the fastest sectional of the semi-finals he is seven to four at the moment as it stands Olga uh, who was in the third uh, semi-final on Saturday has recorded a 23-32 in the first round but actually in the um, trial stakes recorded a 23-20 so she's gone close Olga and she's second in the market at seven to two but the value for me would probably be with Minnie Bullock she did a 23-28 in the first round and she wouldn't have to improve too much on that to beat or pass low pressure. So I think Mini Bullet could probably be the value at 4-1 to one when it comes to the fastest sectional of the semi-finals. That is the market uh, that you can find uh, through Labrooks that James Price has priced up for us. So low pressure's got it at the moment, but can anybody go quicker than him on Saturday? That's the question. And I've heard that there's been a bit of money actually around for one of them that I've not mentioned in the fastest sectional market. That's right, Danny. Yeah, uh, last year's winner, Balmore Sally, has come in for a bit of support. She was 14 to 1 and is now 8 to 1. So someone certainly fancies her to run a quick sectional on Saturday. Well, I'm not surprised because in the couple of rounds last year, she did a 23 18 
in the third semi-final. Then went even quicker on the 19th of February 2022 with a 23.07. So that had absolutely blow low pressure out the water if she can repeat that. This year, she wasn't quite so impressive in the first round. She came third. She was behind low pressure. She didn't get the best of the break. She got a bad crowd on the second. She was crowded on the fourth, but she absolutely stormed round the final couple of bends and she managed to clinch third. Granted, she was beaten eight and a half lengths, but hopefully she can put in a better run for the semifinals. And obviously she'd been off the track since the 29th of December as well. She'd missed the break at Monmore on that occasion in a, an invitational race behind Kula Vanianti. So maybe just needed to get back into the racing swing of things and fingers crossed Belmore Sally can uh, go uh, a couple better maybe in her semi-final on Saturday. It looks uh, an absolute belter of a competition and low pressure would be the one for me, mainly because I know Dave Lawrence who owns part of low <laughs> pressure and he was talking him up when I saw him at the weekend. So hopefully um, Dave can can have a winner on Saturday. Uh, fingers crossed for low pressure. Love Mini Bullet as well. I think she's cracking over six bends and um, yeah, obviously Mark Wallace we know can train some very very good greyhounds so mini bullet i'd have an eye on but i'm all rowing in to low pressure joe team low pressure yeah well it's pretty tight in the um anti-post market with the remaining runners at the moment i mean balmore sally mini bullet and low pressure you can get about six to one on all of those then olga 10 to one fabulous links 10 so it's it's pretty tight the bookies can't decide um but it's going to be a cracking competition again um on on saturday can't wait for the semi-finals yeah, it's going to be exciting. And not only that, we've got the Peter Bussey Memorial Trophy semis as well. Just a couple of those on the lunchtime uh, card on Crayford. And I think Trap 6 Fiora Noel in the first semi final will have a good chance. He recorded a 33.72 in a trial uh, prior to the competition. He didn't quite get the best of the break last time out. We know he can get uh, away from the boxes a little quicker. He was beaten two lengths in the end, uh, but I'm hoping that he can do the business for Ricky Holloway at the weekend and in the second semi-final it would be all about Antigua Sugar on the wide outside so I'm going with two trap sixes I do quite like my sixes (laughs) but I absolutely love Antigua Sugar she blitzed them last week one by five and a half lengths granted she does have a fair bit of pace on her inside um, this week to contend with she's got Liz's Legacy in four who did a 12.88 split at the first round and PJ's Forever did a 12.84 so PJ's Forever and Antigua Sugar may well meet, but when it comes to times, Antigua Sugar should just have too many guns for them. So really hoping that she can go and uh, score again and remain unbeaten in the competition. But it looks like a sensational um, semi-final, the second one for sure. And Master 1010 wouldn't be out of it either. Did miss the break and got crowded and bumped in his semi, but still managed to sneak into third. So Master 1010, if he opens up at any kind of decent price, I wouldn't put you off him. But all about Antigua Sugar in the second semi for the Peter Bussey Memorial. Anybody else who've got our eye on betting wise over the weekend, Joe? Um, not really, to be honest, Danny, but Monmore's definitely going to be worth a look on Saturday night because we've got the Monmore Puppy Derby coming up and we've got the Winter Derby coming up. So there's going to be a lot of really good greyhounds on show, a lot of good pups on show um, that will be running in those competitions. So definitely one for the notebooks. Get them out. I'll have mine out on Saturday night for sure Um, also can we just give kudos to Ryan Keneally who was on the second episode because I mean Claire Keith Remy he pulled that one out of the bag 16 to 1 I believe (laughs) definitely plenty of 14s about so um, he's putting us to shame at the moment we'll have to get him back on now won't we yeah I think we will Ryan stand by phone 
we'll be calling you. <laughs> no, well done. And I think you've got a few winners in the heats as well. Now that is it for episode three. I hope you've enjoyed the interview with James Price. Obviously, we had the news at the top of the show. Don't forget to check out the Twitter space as well. Uh, do make sure you follow at Wilson Greyhound on Twitter to find out when the next Twitter space is going to be. And don't forget, Danny, I think hopefully we'll have Steve Nash on the next podcast. So if anyone's got any questions for Steve, who is an absolute legend of Greyhound Racing, um, please tweet myself, Totally Betting, or at Danny V. Jackson and get his questions in for Steve, please. We want them. We do indeed. That is going to be a fabulous interview. I love Steve. Cannot wait, one, to be on his table on Sunday, but also to have an in-depth chat about Greyhound Racing for the podcast. So do make sure you look out. In the meantime, like it subscribe make sure you leave us a review as well and if you fancy coming on the show reach out to us if you want us to talk about anything reach out to us see you next time thanks for listening to gone to the dogs released every other friday for more info or to reach out on twitter follow at totally betting and at danny v jackson Podcast produced and edited by Joe Andrews and Danny Jackson. Voiceover by Katie Harvey.